says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to preview a couple of games, the Parramatta Reels, a couple of important games, especially for our NRL team, is my good mate 60s. But we also got some State of Origin to talk, big fella. How are you pulling up after a couple of under-19s games last night? Yes, mate. We had the under-19s origins matches, the, uh, the male and the female matches last night, which was fantastic because... We had no NRL matches scheduled for Thursday night football with Tuesday night's, uh, sorry, Wednesday night's origin game uh, being played this week. But we, before we dive in, John, into the football itself, there is an important notice for members of Parramatta Leagues Club. It's a very important constitutional change that is being proposed, which is basically that to be a director of Parramatta Leagues Club, you cannot have been found to be not a fit and proper person of a governing body of a registered club, but basically it means that if um, any of the government authorities have found you not a fit and proper person, you cannot be a director of Parramatta Leagues Club. Now, I think that's pretty straightforward. It was a part of the constitutional change that was unable to be voted through when the constitutional change was first made. But now it's there's been some things which have meant that, uh, well, some challenges to the constitution, which basically means that it's really important that this is now part of the constitution. And it, as I said, it's pretty straightforward. Do you want people as directors of the league's club who have been found to be not a fit and proper person to be a secretary or to be a, a director of uh, Parramatta Leagues Club. It's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a straightforward vote, but people should vote, of course, however they want to. You have the opportunity to vote. You should have received notification via email or via mail of the, uh, of the actual full details of that change you can then vote electronically it's really really straightforward it takes all of about two minutes just to go in and and lodge your vote electronically there is a general meeting that is going to be held on the 27th of this month the 27th of july which is not next thursday but thursday after at Parramatta leagues club so you can actually be there and see how that uh, vote has panned out. Um, you have to vote before that date. So you need to vote by, I think, 5pm of the 26th of July. So check your emails if you haven't got it. Check your mail. And if you're, an, if you're a Leagues Club member and you haven't received any notification, then get in touch with the club and let them know that you want to vote. As I said, whichever way you vote, that's entirely up to you. I've I have expressed my thoughts on that because I think it's fairly straightforward. But the main thing is just vote. And that way the voting becomes representative of the wishes of Leagues Club members and not by just a few select people. 
Yeah, well said, mate. And the other thing, as always, that we do like to shout out are the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narellan, and Parramatta, helping us get this episode or each and every episode out uh, for you guys each week. But 60s, let's jump into the football, starting with the under-19s women's game where the Blues were run down. Uh, they burst out of the blocks, got to the lead. Uh, I think it was 10-4, uh, to 4. Uh, but then end up losing this one 20-14. The Queenslanders absorbed a lot of pressure on their goal line, uh, and then, yeah, in the second half, bagged three tries to win this game. And, yeah, it, it set up what looked to be a potential sweep across uh, all all formats in our state of origin this year, NRLW, NRL, uh, obviously under-19s women's, and then the men were the last bastion left for the Blues. Uh, but this game... Wasn't broadcast on TV. Was on uh, the live stream, I believe, wasn't it? Or was it no, nine, no, nine it, was a, it was actually on uh, on Gem, I think. It yeah, was. sorry, it was, it was uh, yeah, I was thinking nine, uh, yeah, nine now on Gem, yeah. So they had it on the uh, the auxiliary channels there. Uh, but this one was played at KO Stadium alongside the under 19s boys as well. And yeah, I mean, good good game here. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, first of all, Parramatta had Lindsay Tui. Out, uh, playing at right centre for the uh, the Blues team. Now the thing about Lindsay, look, I think anyone that watched the game probably would have liked the ball to have been in Lindsay's hands a little bit more because what she did demonstrate in the game last night was the power in her game, like the carries, the tackles. Um, really impressed with with those few opportunities that she got but it it was it was one of those games where the when the ball was shifted out to the right that it it tended to go with the fullback or the back rower rather than Lindsay but when she got her carries from um, kick returns those sorts of things we saw the power in her game and uh, yeah as I would have liked to have seen a little bit more but it it um it was one of those games where it didn't come her way, but look, she had a she's had a great year, um, and I think, as I said, the the little bit that we saw of her in last night's game emphasised just what a strong, powerful player that she is, and we're going to see a lot more of her going through into NRLW as she is one of those players on a development contract with the Parramatta Eels. And the other player right, we actually missed because. Uh, we, we didn't see it coming through our pathways, but a recruit that we picked up this year for the NRLW actually uh, in this team was Chloe Jackson, who played on the edges and captained the team. Uh, so. Yes, so, yep, so Chloe, and uh, and well noted there, Chloe was actually the player that was inside um, Lindsay in this particular game. And as I said, the a, a lot of the, the ball running on those plays that was would either find that its way into the hands of Chloe or um, with the fullback. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember uh, the fullback. Sienna, Sienna Williams. Yeah, so she's she actually does a bit of uh, work with our mate Spiro on Two GB um, with um, with the uh, Ben Ford and Breakfast Show mm-hmm. um, uh, in on uh, on morning radio. But um, so. The, the plays were a lot of the plays saw either either herself or Chloe getting the ball on the charge in the those plays close to the line and um, as I said it was it, 
wasn't the fault of those players that the ball wasn't getting into the hands of Lindsay. It was just this was the plays that were run. Now, Chloe is a very, very strong runner of the football, very elusive as well for uh, a back rower. Um, got like really good quick stepping, uh, which I think makes it hard for her to be brought down. It'll be interesting to see how she progresses in to the NRLW squad mm -hmm. and where that takes her game. But certainly the Eels have done really, really well in recruiting her for the uh, NRLW squad. And one thing I did want to mention about Lindsay Sixties, which is a massive credit to her talents, is that she's a year under eligibility here for the New South Wales 19. She actually turns 18 this year. So she's got a chance to come back next year and get the win for the Blues. Well, I think, as I said, what we saw last night was the fact that she's got a power game stands her in good stead to be able to transition into senior women's football fairly quickly. So looking forward to seeing how she goes. And as you, as you mentioned as well, the new recruit in Chloe Jackson. Mm -hmm. Couldn't get the bickies there, but we move on to the New South Wales under-19s men's game uh, where the Blues prevented that full-on, not just the uh, series sweep that, we'll, that we're looking for in the uh, NRL version of State of Origin, but the full-on Slater sweeps with uh, Queensland winning everything else. But yeah, the Blues prevailed here 32-14. to 14. A very good night, if your name was Ethan, by the way. Uh, Ethan Strange, Ethan Ferguson and Ethan Sanders all starring, probably picking up the three-two-one. I'd say in this game, it was a yeah, yeah. Uh, a freaky, freaky first. They sort of are a set of instances here, but yeah, uh, in that set of try scorers, uh, Strange bagged the double. He looked sensational out in that right edge centre. Uh, really, one of the. I mean, he had a high-profile partner in uh, Chevy Stewart at fullback. He's the one that's been making all the waves as a NRL superstar prospect. But Strange was the Canberra prospect that really stood out here. Ethan Ferguson, who started this year at Newcastle, uh, made the jump to the Rabbitohs after the SG Ball season finished. He had a very good game on the wing as well. And Ethan Sanders, uh, they all bagged tries. Strange at a hat-trick. Ferguson and Sanders won a piece. And uh, Savelio Tamale, who came in and had a nice impact on that left edge, also bagged one as well. Uh, Ferguson goal-kicking four from six. There was a Simbin Mitchell Jennings for a high shot on uh, the 5'8 Fionu. And in this one, yeah, I mean... I thought this was a, a really good game from the Blues. There wasn't too much hero ball. They had good systems in place. Ethan, Ethan Sanders, we'll talk about him shortly, but um, he had a very good game. But, yeah, like I said, good, good night to be an Ethan. Uh, and, yeah, a good game for the Blues. Yeah, um, just before I um, uh, comment on the uh, men's game there, sorry, the, the under-19s game there, uh, one thing I wanted to mention from the... Um, the women's game was how impressive uh, Lasana Lutu was in the um, uh, playing at lock. Mm, yeah, former former para prospect, but a West Tigers junior who has uh, yeah. linked, linked back up with her junior club now for the NRLW. Uh, yeah, Lutu, I think she's a half, but capable of playing in the back row. A real throwback, isn't it? Uh, in terms of oh, rugby league. Uh, look, I think I think she's with the the way that the lock role is these days. I think she's going to be someone who you will see at lock. Um, skill set is just off the charts, just, you know, way off the charts. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, she was probably unlucky to be on the losing team, to be honest, because she would have figured right up there in uh, the best on field discussions. Um, certainly with New South Wales 
doing as well as they did for a large chunk of the match before Queensland sort of arrested that momentum. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that as well because I, I you know, she was a she was a real standout, and, and people might see a bit of her for West Tigers uh, this year in the NRLW. But yeah, just onto the under nineteen uh, men's game. Oh, mate, you might be able to fill me in on this. I don't know the details of when that that change happened, but how how Ferguson got away from the Knights? I don't know. Yeah, South Sydney. I, I'm just wondering whether you know he signed during the SG ball season or after the mm. SG ball season. But he certainly looks to be one out of the box, doesn't he? In 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 terms of how he plays, you know, whether he whether he stays as a winger, whether he goes into um, other positions to uh, as remains to be seen. He's he's certainly not short on confidence. No, I think that was a, that. that was a theme for a number of these boys, wasn't it? Uh, and you know, it's no guarantee to lock you in as an NRL star, but the under 19s origin has been a very good predictor of quality NRL talent in recent years. And yeah, the the trio of Ethan certainly didn't put a foot wrong here alongside a couple other players who had good games, and one of them was a Parramatta boy. I thought Charlie Geimer was outstanding on that left-edge 60s. Could have got a, a double. He was barely held up <laughs> in the first half on two occasions, and I thought he ran the ball with plenty of intent, tackled strong, uh, and, yeah, looked really looked a, a class in a very good uh, New South Wales outfit, and I think he might have given our coaches some food for thought about where his ceiling could be just this year, let alone long-term. Yeah, he was really in great touch last night. He's just everything's everything that he does. You you know that he's giving it like every ounce of his being, whether it be in, in a, whether well what whatever side of the game, attack or defence that you're talking about. We've seen him play the majority of the SG ball season as a thirteen. And then uh, the grand final, he he uh, he switched back to the edge, didn't he? In the grand final, yes. And then and Saxon Bright played at thirteen yeah. in the SG Ball grand final. And I mean, when you're talking about someone who in the at the mats level was playing as a centre and a five eight before and, that, yeah, um, he's. To make that transition to the forwards, you're talking about a far greater workload, especially when you're playing at 13. And I guess in him playing at 13, and he does, did such a great job playing at 13 and um, and captaining the team out there, but it was a reminder when he was back on the edge in that grand final, just what a, a devastating mm-hmm. runner of the football he is as well. Yep. And he just, it was, it was like, um, it was almost like he embraced, fully embraced that opportunity to go back to an edge. And we saw that again last night. And um, just the the pressure that he was putting on with his line speed in defense. Mm-hmm. Like there was a couple of times where he went charging out and he didn't quite get the the full contact on the opposition player that he wanted. But, but he deflected the, way the ball runner back into to, the defense. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, like he was really deflecting them as a as a ball runner, and it gave the opportunity for the those following him up in defence to finish them off. And um, yeah, just that that energy that he brought 
to that left edge was uh, was really really impressive. I thought he was one of the standout performers. You mentioned Ethan Sanders, really composed game from him, wasn't yeah. it? I it mean, was, it was almost it, there was elements of that that were very Moses like. I mean, yeah. I'm talking about about uh, 2023 Mitchell Moses yeah, too. Pure game like management. The mature, just the game, the game management. Ball on a string. Game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, but when the but the, when the running game's called on, I mean, we saw last night he had a bit to do with that try, and um, you know he he basically pulled the right pulled the right strings with what he um, with what he uh, took as the option for his run to the line. So um, he bagged and, one and know, could have easily had another three. He was denied by the skin of his teeth on several occasions by some desperate Queensland defense. Yeah. Uh, and, yes. You know, could he have had a, a gaudier, flashier game? Which is, you know, almost unfair to say. Maybe, but in terms of the fundamentals, that was as good a game as he could have put together. Uh, you know, showing uh, the world how NRL ready he will be in the near future. I mean, he's got the strong defense because Queensland threw a lot at him. He's got the running game. He's got a clean passing game. And most importantly, he's got one of the best long kicking games. And even the attacking bombs were fantastic. They were dropping on dimes uh, just short of the goal line uh, that you're going to see from an NRL prospect. And look, we, we've talked about it at length. We want the Eels to keep this kid, but it's going to be a tough uh, tough proposition. Uh, there's going to be a number of clubs that are going to see that you know tape from last night and say, well, we can work with this. Um, and you know, it's a credit to Ethan Sanders for the hard work he's done for his game to put himself in that position. But yeah, hopefully the Eels can retain him because I think there's also, he's got the build and skill set where obviously long-term he could be a halves prospect for the Eels, but I think there could be something else there in the midterm. I mean... What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I mean, when, when you're one mid-180s and, you know, built solid like that, I, there, there could be options from like a 14 sort of position where you, you just get him into first grade some way, somehow. And he can be, whether it's your utility... Uh, obviously, you know, you throw in dummy half and that, that's going to take some work to get anyone into that position that isn't a natural dummy half. But there, back row, centres, um, you know, he has got the skill set, I think, uh, to, you know, with some work, make that transition to a uh, sort of Swiss Army knife in the short term, mid term. Yeah, so are you, are you talking about that that might be the, the way that he debuts? Is someone with the... Uh, with multiple skills to come off the bench as his introduction to first grade for for the eels for sure yeah I think that's probably his our best way to sell it to him. Um, obviously, other clubs can say, well, we're going to we see he was a halfback and a halfback only, but uh, I I think you look at just the way he's built sixties. He he is not a small lad. He he stands no, no, he stands he... tall. He stands well, like you know, good good strength in that frame as well. So I I think there is a, something to explore there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, at how the Eels sell a future at the club to him in comparison to how other clubs mm-hmm. sell their what they see in their vision for him. Knowing the the way that uh, Fieldsy advises his players, he he advises them in whatever their best interest might be. Like in terms of their long term, you know, not not uh, he's a he's a sort of bloke that wants to look after their long term interests, mm-hmm. not short term gains. Um, so whether that whether the their 
the best future for Ethan is a shift of clubs, whether the best future for Ethan is to get a year or two in the lower grades at Parramatta before deciding on where his future may lie. And the thing is, you just don't know what what's going to happen in that immediate future. I mean, you could look at um, Moses and Brown as the long-term uh, half incumbents at the Eels and say, that's that's blocking anyone's path to first grade. But you never know what's around the corner. Well, two, With, months, two months ago... Moses and Brown looked untouchable on and off the field. Dylan's always since then made a, a significant error off the field. And while we all hope he's going to you know, learn from it and, and be a better person for it, he could also just be one mistake away from being cut from the heels now. So okay. that's, yeah. that's right. A- absolutely. I mean, you just don't know what the future has in store. I mean, um, like even even with Parramatta making that decision to release Jake Arthur, and <laughs> within a week, uh, the scenario unfolded where Jake basically would have been playing uh, first grade every week since uh, almost since he departed yeah, the through, Eels through Origin uh, exactly yeah yep yep through Origin and through and through the no, errors the, of the, the, the suspension of yeah. You know, this, these are the things that you just don't know. So, um, yeah, I, I, look, it'll be interesting. I, I would imagine that in the not-too-distant future, we are going to learn about what decision Ethan makes in terms of his future. He's still contracted to Parramatta for next year, but I think there's been a, a bit of talk to try to sort out his future uh, prior to when he would theoretically go on the open market, which is um, obviously November 1. So I think uh, Phil's he's pretty keen, I think, to get that sorted. Ethan's probably pretty keen to get that sorted so they, they know where they stand further than just for next year. So, um, yeah, I guess watch this space there. It'll probably be known in the near future. Uh, Sam Tuivati didn't get too yeah. much game time. New, New South Wales dominated this game in two segments, the start and then the end. Uh, well, I say start and end, but obviously it branches deeper and, and, and backwards significantly. But the one period where Queensland got real traction in this game and had the real run of possession <laughs> came in when uh, they started it and Sam got tagged into the, the rotation in the middle and he just got, I think he got opportunity to run the ball once or twice just because Queensland had yeah. all the ball. He made a lot of tackles, which you, obviously you want to see from the big fella, uh, but he just had no opportunities to showcase his wares with the ball in hand. It's just one of those, it's nah. one of those things. It just happens. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Poor, poor, poor fella. I mean, I will say this, the, the, there were some giants out there. Uh, the Queensland number 10, Benjamin Takura, he's, he's 207 centimetres, I think, or something like that, 205. Absolute mountain of a man. He's like six foot seven six, or six, something. Seven or something like that. Like... Uh, I will say this. That's Sam, insane. Sam, That's insane. He, he's a big boy, uh, and I'm, I'm sure he, he towers over Sam, but watching Sam out there, he looked like a Hulk among those boys. There, there were giant units. Jack Clydesdale, we, we saw him in the SG Ball 60s. He's huge. Uh, Samuel Afainu, another big lad, but Sam looked huge out there, so that, that was encouraging. Uh, and yeah, yeah, we, he's gonna he's gonna have a lot better opportunities to attack with the heels. Uh, just poor man. Uh, coincidences uh, lined up against him in this game, and I hope no one marks that. I mean, no one should be marking him against that uh, against him uh, for being a victim of circumstance. 
Well, Matt, you also, you mentioned before about Lindsay Tui's age. And uh, we should mention as well that Sam is 18 years of age this year. So he's got another year where he can run around in SG Ball next year. Another year of uh, New South Wales under-19s origin, theoretically. Yeah. So, so for some way, I don't think he's going to be running around in SG Ball. I just get the, I get this feeling that uh, he might be uh, pushed through into flag more full time. So, uh, very very talented prospect, Sam. One that we've had our eyes on for a long time. He's been impressive at each and every level as a junior eligible player from, well, starting from his junior eligible year. Harold Matt, sorry, he has just been dominant. So, better things on the horizon for him compared to the under 19s debut here and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Eels boys uh, in general got to be happy with their performances. I thought Charlie and Ethan were sensational. Uh, and yeah, like we said with Sam, uh, I'm certainly not holding against him. We know that his talents and his efforts uh, are ultra consistent for the Parramatta Eels. And yeah, just a victim of circumstance in this one. Oh, mate, look, much the same as I said with Lindsay. It was she, we, we saw glimpses of her because the ball just didn't come mm-hmm. her way as often as as we'd like as a supporter. And, um, uh, yeah, but, again, a good um, a good representation of the Eels in the under-19s age bracket. Um, just before we wrap up that under-19s, uh, mate, the probably one of the most hyped players in that team is Chevy Stewart. And he's... Obviously, doing great things down in the Raiders. He's he's now uh, the fullback in their reserve grade team, and maybe not too far away from pushing to for um, uh, first grade in the in the not too distant future. But the last two times I've seen him play was the in the uh, SG Ball uh, Grand Final, and then in this Origin game. I don't think he had his best. Performances in either. Oh, the SG Ball uh, qualifying final, but yeah, he he came he came final. he came back from New South Wales Cup as a late inclusion, and yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying. He's had a when when the Eels are involved, whether it's uh, uh that final or here in the Origin with the trio of Eels with him, he hasn't had the greatest games here. Um, and yeah, it's just it's how I suppose it's the how showcase games work out sometimes, isn't it? Where you got one one effort to really, you know showcase your wares and if you have a bad game that's uh what what happens and yeah for chevy he hasn't been impressive the last two times we've seen him uh as a you know focal player in these lineups and yeah it's funny but he had, he did have a shocker out here he had a one of a, a bad mistake in the end goals that led to one of queensland's tries uh struggled to in, inject himself from fullback and like we said at the lead in ethan strange his compatriot at canberra really outplayed him uh comprehensively in this one well i think it's one of those occasions where maybe he feels that he's got something to prove because of the fact that he's fast-tracking through the Canberra system. And um, and this isn't in any way talking about his that, he, that maybe he isn't all that he's cracked up to be or anything like that because he wouldn't have been progressed at such a young age into the fullback in Canberra's reserve grade team if he didn't have the talent. He wouldn't mm-hmm. have been grabbed out of the Sharks system by the Raiders, like targeted. He was one of the standout players in SG Ball last year. 
at a young age. So I think it's probably a matter of, you know, a, a player like him, he's coming in one sense, he's coming back in like when he played in the SG ball qualifying final, he was coming back to that grade. Mm -hmm. Like he was jumping back to age football. And I think he probably felt that he had to do more or, or he had to be, um, he had, had a point that he had to prove that he didn't have to prove, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I, that's he's almost true. guilty of pl trying too hard. Mm -hmm. that, that's probably a good way of putting think, it. I was just going to say, I think I think he was almost guilty of the same in that Origin game last night. I think he was overplaying his hand. Um, and sometimes when you overplay your hand, that's when the errors come. And then when the errors come and you're thinking – Oh, you know, I've stuffed up there. I need to. I need to make up for that. You don't. Like players don't need to make up for it. They just need to go back to doing what they do. I, I always use it as um, as uh, an example. Uh, James Maloney. Like he was, he was one who could feel like he had the memory of a goldfish, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Came to his own errors, like. He could put a mistake behind him well, he, so quickly. He led the NRL in errors for several years in a row uh, where, you know, he, he'd just get it wrong on a play and never let it get to him. He just, like, he'd pick himself back up and say, all right, back to work, next set, I'm going to make you, I'm going to go back to the well and I'm going to make the play this time. And it worked out tremendously yeah. for him. Uh, you know, he carved he carved out a, a really good NRL career, didn't he? Uh, winning a premiership yeah. and, and being a you know representative caliber half. Never got dirty on himself about things, you know, like just... As you say, just put it behind. Go back to the world. Go, go back to his game. Never let it, never never let the chance of that error stop him from playing his natural game. And I think that's a lesson for all young players: is you know, don't get don't get harsh on yourself. Don't get dirty on yourself when you make an error. You, you don't even need for other players to come in and say, you know, don't worry about it. You know, give you. a a high five or a tap on the head or the backside or whatever the case may be after an error is made, just like, just get on with the next play. Mm -hmm. And they're the, you know, when, when players are able to do that, that's when you see the best of it because they're not, they're not playing inside their own heads as it were with, uh, with whatever's just transpired. It's just the, it's the next play. That's the important play, yep. not the play that's just happened. So, yep. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to comment on that because you know I was I was getting a few messages last night about about Chevy Stewart, and I thought you know it's it's worth having just have, having a quick um, chat on that. Um, but now, mate, let's let's quickly get a few final thoughts on Origin Three mm -hmm. and the performances of our eels in Origin Three, be it. Uh, Mitch Moses, RCG, and uh, the, the King, King Gutho. Yes, who ended the series, by the way. He had a chance to get a run and a tackle and uh, managed to get the ball in his hand in the very last play. So well done to Gutho there in his three minutes on the field. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the Blues. That is, does, that ensure, does that ensure that he ends up in the highlights, you know, like where you see the full-time whistle blown and it's yeah, in the hands? Yeah, and it's in his hands. Yep. So there's no mistaking that he's – He's been uh, involved in a, an origin win. The morale captain so, for the Blues, yeah. Uh, but, yes, yeah, yes. It, with the series sweep on the line here in a home game, uh, the Blues had to stand up, and they did. Uh, they won 24-10 in this one with a, a contest where they were the better team, 
But the scoreline doesn't really reflect some of the opportunities that Queensland also had. They butchered a couple of tries uh, going down by Queensland there. But uh, for the Queenslanders, Dave Fafita and Hamaso Tabuifado, who had an outstanding series, would have been right in uh, calculations for the Wally Lewis medal, I reckon, after Cotter and uh, uh, the other one would have been the prop, Lindsay Collins, uh, who all had a fantastic series. But for the Blues, Brian To'o, Josh Adokar, who scored a cracking individual try, and a Bradman best double. Uh, the try scorers for New South Wales. Pretty ordering night for the goal kickers. Crichton, two from four for the conversions. Holmes, one from two. Uh, Stephen did uh, tack on two straightforward penalty goal attempts, though, to get the Blues home. Um, yeah, new look Blues. Uh, rejigged halves combination, Moses and Walker. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, they, they work together really nicely. Really nicely. Cameron Murray being uh, an important change there to at lock forward as both the go-forward guy and the pivot for ball distribution. Uh, and yeah, the trio of them work together really nicely from left to right and more importantly from right to left. And yeah, the uh, the Blues looked a much better outfit in this contest. And some of that would be, uh, I don't want to over-praise the Blues because I think Queensland were also a definite notch down in, in intensity in this game, 60s. Uh, as much as they wanted to secure the series sweep, it is so hard in origin to maintain the rage after you've gotten the series win and would have celebrated that after game two. Yeah, there was no doubt that their intensity was down, but all you can do is win or an origin game as it presents itself. Yeah, yeah you can and only play what's in front of you, exactly. I'm not going to criticise the Blues yeah. for that. And uh, they, yeah. they looked vastly improved compared to their game one and two efforts in attack. The, look, you know my thoughts right from the start where I disagreed with... Uh, Freddie's selections uh, from game one but I also said look once you once you make the selections you, you've got a you've got a ride with whatever you've decided to go with because if if you if you believe these players are the answer it's like you know getting rid of them after a game is like throwing out the baby with the bathwater so I I don't know how much of a signal to the future this is because I I don't I, if like if Freddie's the coach next year I've got no idea who he picks <laughs> yeah. in, in game one and I don't know whether it will have any bearing to the to the form in the premiership up to that point in time I don't know whether it's going to relate to game three this year it's I mean there's every likelihood that we will see things like fullbacks selected back in centre. Because if uh, if you've got Latrell Mitchell in form, he's going to look to have him in the team somewhere. He's not going to... Uh, Tedesco said he's not going anywhere. He played a very good game three, but he's he's said he's not going anywhere, so it's going to be un, unlikely that he'll be left out of origin as the, as the captain next year. So I think when next year rolls around, we'll probably be having the same selection discussions, debates, disagreements, as we had this year. What I thought we ended up seeing was a whole lot of players playing their best position. That's what mm-hmm. it came down to. Yeah. You had people in the centres who were centres. You had you had a, a bloke at lock who is an outstanding player in the premiership at lock. Um, well, and that, that's, what, that's had, what had me scratch my head because they interviewed Brandy on 360 the, the night after. And they were talking about how, uh, you know, they weren't sure how he was going to go at lock at origin level because he, he's been playing at the edge for New South Wales. Like, he's one of the best locks in the game at NRL level. Like, why would you have yeah. any, any doubts? 
so, I, I mean, I know that the New South Wales hierarchy are going to be patting themselves on the back for some of their picks and selections here, Brad and Best having a double and whatnot. And uh, I'll t- I'm going to talk about this with Quint on uh, Tuesday again, but I feel like this is uh, going back to when Reg got dumped for Saifidi the other last time. Uh, this is a, a a good result from a bad process. Uh, you know, Brabham, yeah. you know, he, he bagged the double, but the fact that you're not considering guys like Will Penasini, again, is the wrong process. Uh, so yeah. th- they'll tell themselves they got it right, and uh, results-driven thinking is a... It's very tempting to think you get it right, but I think New South Wales lucked out a bit there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you got guys in the right... Like you got, like you said, a centre-playing centre, a lock-playing lock. you got uh, a, a proper 5.8 playing 5.8 here that complemented Mitchell Moses really well, and Walker and Moses looked natural together. I mean, you, you could imagine what sort of carnage they'd cause at club level if they were able to work together. Uh, they looked very comfortable uh, working alongside one another. Um, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, I thought, had a good game. I think he was a pick of the props. I think he definitely carried the load in the front row for the New South Wales team. Um, you know, what, you're not going to give... Come on. Jake Zabrojevic was out there, mate. Yeah, I mean, technically, I suppose he was out there. Um, I think that he had 10 runs for like 60 metres or something like that. Um did you notice? Did you notice as soon as full time was over, that the first thing that the commentators were talking about was the contribution of Jake Trebojevic? Yeah, I mean, look, he, he is obviously a, a speak great, to me, a, a speak great, to me about this. He, he's obviously a great guy, and uh, they, they, I mean, maybe in the way that Guffo was picked, uh, they they see value to him being you know the one of the glue guys and uh, a morale guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Guffo played three minutes and probably had a, nearly as much impact on the game. So, And, and look, we're not putting um, – this isn't meant to put Jake Trebojevic down. He's just been in a winning um, team in uh, in Origin when he wasn't in the team for the first two matches and then they've turned around and they've won. What we acknowledge is that Jake Trebojevic is a, is, he's a, he's a very good, consistent player in the NRL, he's important to his team, the Man, uh, Manly Sea Eagles. He's um, he's a solid performer in representative football, but I guess our take is that the pun- the pundits wax lyrical. Oh yeah, like he, he was best on field. His, and, and look, yeah, yeah. Jake, Jake's game and, resembles that of a latter day Heinies. Now he is a big workforce yes, guy. Yes. You know, he, he all, he's yeah. always there to make the cover tackles. He is, you know, backing up constantly. And you can understand why coaches love that. But uh, in the origin format, you, you need to have more impact with the ball in hand. Yeah, yeah. But and, that's, and, that's probably, and that's probably a fair call in, in that you are making a, a comparison to um, the sort of contributions that Hindy made in his latter, the latter part of his career. But the early part of his career, Hindy was a um, devastating runner of the football mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and, before the arthritis uh, in his foot uh, caught caught up with him. And, and same with Jake. Um, he was a lot more robust in his first four or five years in the NRL. Uh, well, first four or five prime years in the NRL, sorry. Where, you know, he, he was much more effective through the middle and could ball play a bit more effectively. But yeah, that, I mean, obviously part of the winning team here. I thought uh, Keon Kalamatangi looked good as a rookie on debut. Um, he worked nicely alongside Mitchell Moses down the right. Uh, and, yeah, after that, I, I, I'm just trying to think. Our bench didn't really do much. Um, Yo played prop. He did okay there. Um, he was fine. Saifidi, I can barely rec- remember. He probably – his carries were probably 
a little bit more effective than um, Jake. It's I, I guess it's what you want out of your prop, right? Because uh, again, you you could make the argument that they should have picked an out and out specialist prop there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I thought Yo Yo was better than Saifidi. Uh, Rob, the two dummy halves, Robson and Cook, just did their jobs. And then obviously King Guffo, well, he got the token minutes at the end. Um, so, yeah, really the, the starting 13 for New South Wales carried a lot of load here. Um, the the interchange, well, it was one of the things we were really critical of when the, we previewed this game with their selections there. And, and I, I think in a way we were validated because while they won, I don't really think the bench did much in this game. Yeah, and you know what? That's, a, that's, that's probably a fair call too because – if we if we look at what happened throughout the course of the series, the impact off the bench was probably not what we wanted, and this was a game where maybe the impact off the bench wasn't required. It's just how it played out. I mean, the fact that in the first two matches, we could have done with Agatho on the bench, <laughs> and then in the third match when Agatho was put on the bench, it wasn't it and, wasn't needed. And that, that's why realistically you can't carry an emergency back on the bench. Like, yeah, games one and two, it could have been used, but if you had a Ryan Madison or another back row that has played in the centres before, they also do the job there, and they also just work in rotation normally. So, yeah, New South Wales got quite a few things wrong this series, but did win this game, can be happy about that. Um, I, I did notice that. I mean, we'd, we'd probably get the same bristly response from Brandy that he gave to Buzz Rothfield in 360 last night for some of our criticisms because uh, he, he didn't want to hear it. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, the result was good, but I think the processes were still flawed. Um, and, yeah, it leaves New South Wales in a real interesting spot about what they're going to do with their coach moving forwards. If Freddie is their guy, if, if not, who is available? Because Rothfield keeps pushing Ricky Stewart. He's not the guy for New South Wales. Um, no, a, no, no, a, he's no, no. a club coach, and B... He had his chance at Origin and, and, you know, had mixed success there. But they need to find a fresh bite if they're going to move on from Pretty. They need to get yeah. someone someone in there, a la Billy Slater, that is a, a bit closer to the modern game and uh, and just the, the modern player mindset as well. Billy has come in and really rejuvenated the Queensland system with his uh, both uh, tactical now and his, his sort of approach mentally to the game. Yeah, it's... Um well, yeah, as you know, Yoko has that had been her criticism of of uh, Fitler and Alexander being in charge of the Blues in the basically to do with the time away from the modern game that both of those players, both those uh, individuals have had, and then lo and behold, Ivan Cleary was brought in Spotted to be in, in the in box. The box. Mm-hmm. And and I think as Brandy had said in in being questioned about that, that he's there at the coalface now on a weekly basis. He's 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 more in touch with what's going on with the game right now. I mean, that's almost like a nod to the fact that they aren't involved in that in that weekly and haven't been involved in that weekly um, game of NRL for some time mm-hmm. and maybe don't quite have that um, that connection to the game that you might want in an origin coach. Now, I don't want in any way for there to be a current club coach involved 
in the coaching of the Origin team. I think the the one right move that was made was to steer away from that because I think you get all sorts of issues around um, selections. Like it just invite even if it's not the case, you have that suspicion that they they may favour their own players or maybe they don't want to risk their own like like they. There's innuendo yeah, around it. It, it, it puts the coach it, into an unfair position. Uh, correct. Both by picking and not picking players, like you said, uh, whether they're going to protect players or, uh, you know, try and get their guy in uh, as part of, you know, a contract negotiation or something like that. Like, they, they just, they're, like I said, so much innuendo that could come there. The other thing, too, is that NRL coaching is an incredibly time intensive job. Uh, you, you cannot afford to have your concentration elsewhere. Um, it is literally why the Eels review. Mandated that we need to have a head of football in which would eventually become Mark O'Neill because Brad Arthur was doing too much away from the team itself. Um, and on top of that, yeah, New South Wales and Queensland origin, origin spots now it's no longer free games, it's a pre season scouting process where you bring guys into an extended camp, it's constantly being connected to these guys, and it's something that Queensland's done much better than New South Wales, and that's why you want to have a specialist coach, you need to have someone that can have full resources applied to. You know, finding guys that are going to be in construction contention, developing these guys uh, via communication and bringing them into camp and then, you know, getting the most out of them for those three games. So, yeah, I, I don't know who the option is based on that for New South Wales, if they do choose to move on from Freddie. Uh, but like you said, 60s, don't want to be a club coach. Maybe there's an assistant coach out there that uh, might be able to step away and get the gig, like Michael Maguire, who's at Canberra right now. Um, you know, he could be an option maybe, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one because if Freddie comes back, he's already the longest tenured consecutive NRL coach uh, in history. Um, and yeah, he's sort of in uncharted waters here. He hasn't had success recently uh, in, in like quite a while now. And he's you know, held tenure for a long, long time. So they've got a, a big question to answer there. And I, I don't really know what they can find as the answer in the immediate future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree there. And, and you know what? You know, thinking back to the selections in this series, like Brandy, as you said, was really bristling up big time when being questioned. Well, when when he was fronted with the, the quote from Freddie that Reagan Campbell Gillard doesn't suit their style at Origin just two years ago, or whatever it was, a year and a bit ago, last year, just then, last yeah, yeah, just year. last year, and suddenly he's uh, <laughs> he's a you know their best prop in the game, and they they uh, they like him. It's just like. I understand that you have to, you know, throw a line out there to justify why you're dropping a guy, but why not just say we had other guys we felt were better rather than making up some, you know, ridiculous excuse that's going to come back to bite you in the backside, you know, a year later. Reagan Campbell yeah, game doesn't suit State of Origin. Like, come on. Yeah, and then and then to say statements like, oh, we're just going to be talking about the past, are we? You know, like this, yeah, is, the- this is this, you know, like it's – and. But anyway, he's you know he's bristled up about about those sorts of selections. But the the fact is, they have to decide what is best for selecting an origin team. Now, they've they're without without question, someone like Latrell Mitchell. You look at him and you go, he has to be in the origin team. So really, the tough call should be. Make your decision about who's going to be your fullback, right? Stop playing players out of position. It's I understand that there's that 
that thinking of, oh, you just pick your best 13 and find a spot for them. That clearly hasn't worked because they've decided that um, Latrell Mitchell and um, Jake uh, and uh, Tom Turbo are players that they have to have in the team regardless. All right? And due to injury, it hasn't worked for, for them being their options this year. And, you know, is that going to change with Tommy Turbo? No. Is that going to change with Latrell Mitchell? Well, we don't know. I mean, he's had some injury issues over a couple of years now. But I think they have to make that call. You're either picking uh, Latrell at fullback or you're picking or you're picking James Tedesco. Now, Forty, I know you've got like some interesting stats that you've said about uh, Teddy because, I mean, Teddy had a better game in attack uh, and like with a couple of key moments, but I mean, what were some of his other stats? Yeah, the one that caught my eye, and I, I do want to uh, stress I'm not going to downplay his offensive involvement. He looked much better with the ball in hand uh, attacking down that light, uh, left edge primarily. But defensively for this game, he, he's billed for zero tackles made, five missed, and two ineffective. At least that was his uh, original one. Let me just see if they've updated it now. Yeah, five two uh, zero five two, And one of those includes that line break, which I thought was off a pretty huge forward pass, to be fair. Uh, down Param- uh, Parramatta, New South Wales' right edge, uh, that he got absolutely stood up at the back. Uh, the last line, it, it took the cover chases to save his uh, blushes there. And it's not the first time in the series we saw the hammer put him on skates in game one. So, yeah, te- he was better under the high ball. He was better in attack. And the, obviously, they're crucial aspects of the game there too. But, yeah, just it doesn't feel like he was in his uh, groove fully again on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I, as I said, I think if you're talking about players who are performing well in club football at fullback, like if we get to next year and Latrell Mitchell is the standout fullback in the competition and Teddy's playing the sort of football that he is at the moment, there's only one decision to be made. Like you pick your best fullback as the fullback. You don't look to play players out of position simply to avoid the embarrassment of not selecting them because that's what it comes down to. Now, you're going to cop media pressure around that. But, you know, if you just simply said, we are picking the the best player in that position from the, you know, from their form in the premiership, Mm-hmm. We are looking. We are keeping specialist players in specialist positions. Yet there's no, there basically wouldn't be an argument against it. Like you know, a, a media person could say, "Oh, but surely, surely you you can't leave out uh, Teddy. He's been the captain for the last couple of years." You can say, "Well, that's the last thing we would have wanted." But his, you know, how do you how do you not select? So there, there are two or three other fullbacks in better form. Whether it was Dylan, yeah, yeah. Dylan Edwards. Uh, Tom Tobojevic, uh, Latrell Mitchell, whoever, Quinton Gufferson, uh, in, 2020, yep. in 2024, whichever player is in the best form, I agree. It should be seen as an open competition. And, you know, that, that's if New South Wales have that uh, ultra-aggressive competitive mindset to beat Queensland. That's what they should be doing. And that, should, yep, that, that applies absolutely. to the halves. That applies to, you know, centres, front row, all of, it, all of those positions. Uh, I, I feel like when you get beaten the way we have in the last couple of series, incumbency means little. And that means that 
you know, Nathan Cleary, Mitchell Moses, Cody Walker, Jerome Luai, all those guys, uh, Nico Hines. You know, you got to, uh, obviously Mitch getting the, a good a good individual game in game two and getting the win in game three, you know, it's, it's puts him in good stead moving forwards. But you got to pick the guys that are, you know, playing good football in general. And, yeah, and I, I think there's some lessons to be learned about some of the players they've picked that haven't performed at origin level too. They, they, they've got to remember, you know, when it comes to, you know, combinations that they stressed were important, but it turns out that club combinations aren't the same as state of origin. So yeah, and you know what, they can they can then they can do all the justification on form because first of all, if you take the any selection in origin, if it's purely based on form, which is what you know most representative team selections should be. They're not necessarily the case because even when you go into junior football, there's an element of um, uh, politics. When I say junior football, I'm talking about age team selection. You know, there's a bit of to and fro with uh, who they select from what team, and mm-hmm. you know, or players that they've maybe target. You know, had their eye on, or they're they're trying to make sure they come through because they've been a talented. Whatever the case may be, there's there's inverted commas favoured players tend to tend to get selected um and uh you know it's it's like the you know what they used to say about the australian cricket team as well it's harder to get out than to get in with the team um that form doesn't necessarily equate to selection but i think form has to be a major contributor to selection that you're the best player in your position in the competition should be the first one and then the second criteria is is perhaps then you're looking at okay um, you've been in this position for New South Wales for the last few years you haven't produced at origin level we will go to the next best player in in form in the competition mm-hmm. and and you know that's where um, you you may and look that that in, in itself isn't unusual either because you you had the scenario where um, like players that go away on tours, um, you know you get the the best couple of players. I'm talking probably about the old kangaroo tours when you would get essentially two teams of players go away to represent the kangaroos, and you would get the best couple of players in each position that would go away on each, on the tour and form in tour matches and what have you would help to guide the yeah, eventual selection yeah 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 so um and that comes down to combinations within the players in that playing group and i mean the classic example is when kenny and sterling won selection ahead of i think it was mortimer and lewis on the 82 kangaroo tour i, I mean it was um you know they were even though the eels were the premiership winning team it was uh, those those two were were new to the representative scene. They weren't the incumbents, but they they forced a change of position with Lewis, with uh, the how Brett Kenny was performing. So anyway, uh, we've probably covered, uh, we've probably taken as deep a dive into Origin as we possibly can, mate. Just before we get into the previews, uh, any thoughts on a certain representative rugby league player sending? Explicit photos of himself on social media to getting catfish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just a reminder of uh, 
the the negatives of the digital age, isn't it? And yeah, done a very silly thing and and got caught up in now the, the sort of blackmail process from it. But yeah, um, you hate you hate to see it, even if it you know the whole process is a bit on the uh, are you all right, mate? Sort of process uh, scale, like like why are you doing this? Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. there's been no rumours either as to who it's been. Well, none that I've seen anyway. But uh, mate, like. <sighs> Just, at what at what point at one point does the learning yeah that that's that's where I'm at like obviously you, you don't want to see them exposed and have to deal with the fallout from that sort of thing but gosh like come on guys like the keeping your pants for a good reason yeah 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 it's um you know they 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 learn the hard way and and you know it may well be that at some point in the near future the identity of that player comes out. And which you know is going to be um, further embarrassment mm-hmm. for them, mm-hmm. and you know what? On top of everything else, when these when do these things happen, you know they don't don't just put their career or um, and even when it comes to rugby league players, their marketability at uh, at risk. And when mm-hmm. I say marketability, I mean you're talking about relationships with sponsors for a whole range of things, or, or post football careers, or things like that. And you know, if you engage in the sort of stuff where it's it's so negative, or, or it, it just shows, you know, not not the smartest choices. Yeah, yeah. And why, look- why why impact why impact your future and your career with that sort of nonsense? Yeah, you know. it, it comes back to that whole discussion about how insure the lives of an NRL player can be and, you know, how you know how out of perspective and out of touch they can be relative to the normal person. And it, it's tough with the educational processes. Like, obviously, they're trying to give these guys up, these young men and women, and well, I, I throw the women in there not for this, but, like, you know, just in, down the future when their competition is more entrenched as a high-profile, high-paying uh, opportunity. Um yeah, they, they tend to not have the perspective required of or, or equal to that of a normal person. and even, But then in oh. saying that, there are average Joe Blows and Janes that would also goof up in this regard too. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, – I, I guess the, the, the point being that, uh, yes, the average person, you know, can get messed up in and, and can mess up with this sort of thing. But the amount of – education around it that gets pumped into NRL players. And we know, that, we know that social media is a huge place. emphasis now with uh, the educational processes. Yeah. So, yeah, look, some people need to touch the frying pan to learn that, that it is indeed hot, um, and that might be the case here. <laughs> it will sit, mate. <laughs> there certainly are. There certainly are people that do need to touch the frying pan to know it's hot. Yeah. Oh, dear. All right, um, let's let's oh, talk Parramatta football now. We've got a couple of games to preview before we check out ahead of the Sunday. Uh, but starting on Sunday, as the curtain rose out at Combank Stadium, Parramatta Eels uh, taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs, 11th v. 8th. It's probably Parramatta's like first non-top four opponent in a while, it feels like. Uh, but they're hosting them at 3.45pm kickoff for the Eels 60s. We've got a couple of changes here, a couple of ins, a couple of big ins. Uh, we start at fullback. You've got Arthur Miller-Steven. On the wings, Hayes Dunster and Isaac Lumi Lumi. Samuel Louise, who's back, he's in the centres with Wanga Blake. 
Zaxini moves into the 5'8 position, replacing poor Dan Keir, who has uh, you know, done a, as good a job as you could ask of him, considering he's a big back role playing in the 5'8 position for a number of weeks. But Sydney partners Jordan Rankin and the halves. In the front row position, you've got a couple of big boys back, Offa Hickey Ogden and Hesse Makatoa. They're bookending Jaden Yates, Jack Murchie, Matt Dury and Kai Rodwell in the back row. Dan Keir, Jonte Jr., Beth Mimiza, Tony Matelli and Jiro see around out the interchange rotation. South Sydney, a couple of names you're going to recognise here. Uh, Jacob Gargai. Uh, we got uh, Leonard Skelton, one of the Skelton boys there. Uh, Dean Hawkins, Daniel Saluka Fafita, uh, Peter Mamazoulos, Liam Knight, uh, Benjamin Lovett, uh, Shakai Mitchell uh, on the interchange. Yelene Gordon, Buddy Gordon, still running around. Uh, so he's doing a good job there for Souths. But yeah. It feels was... like an eternity ago that he was running around for Wenty. Mm-hmm. As an Eels affiliate. Yeah. Like it felt like he was right near the end of his career when he was running around for Wenty. He's uh, got a bit of Cliff Lines going on right there, has he? Yeah, sort of absolutely. A, a, the ageless wonder of New South Wales Cup. So well done to Buddy there. Um, but yeah, the Eels, they get their first sort of non-big dog match up in a while. Uh, can they make an opportunity or make this opportunity count 60s? Reinforcements in the front row. Uh, back line looks a little bit better balanced now. Uh, still not, you know, perfect, but... The big weakness in this team, the halves, hasn't really been solved. Zach Sini is probably going to play a running 5-8 role where he'll maybe distribute the ball early to his centres, but most likely he's going to take on the line himself, uh, a la Ryan Madison in the NRL. Um, but Matto having a bit better of a feel for that position, obviously. Can they can they get the job done here out at Combank Stadium? I, I look at the team and I go, okay, that's a lot better in on paper. Um, it's still a huge question mark with Zach having to play in the halves because, again, it's manufacturing a playmaker uh, from another position. It's, it's probably a better option than having a back rower playing at 5'8", but that's probably the best team that they will be able to get on the field this year if we're honest it's uh, maybe when Dejan um, is no longer required in NRL when Dylan Brown uh, returns and he returns into the halves that's probably that's probably where you will get them at their strongest but as far as the pack's concerned could you expect a much stronger pack than that? Probably not. How will they perform this week? I've got no friggin' idea, <laughs> to be honest. Like, oh, I mean, on in all honesty, how could you how could you predict? Because, you know, there were elements that we've seen in the last couple of weeks where there's some improvement, but when they concede tries, they will concede them in like in quick succession. In batches, yeah. So, you know, um, so look, I've I've honestly got, I've honestly got no idea. I'd like to think that we're going to see a better performance from them. They, um, did they beat South earlier this year? I've got it in my head that they They beat South. They did, 26-16 back in round 12 out of Allianz. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, 
Souths aren't aren't really um, setting the world on fire in New South Wales Cup. You said they're coming eighth. Yeah, to our eleventh um, year. Yeah, so it's is it possible for the Eels to get a win here? Yes. Will they? You know, my thought is they probably won't, mm-hmm. because I I think they're down in confidence. I think they're down in form. And although it's a better lineup, and and I'd like to think there will be a better um, outcome. I just, I, I honestly, I have, I have no confidence in that. I'm hoping that um, having uh, Ogden and Makatoa back in that in this pack is going to make a big difference to the middle. But we've also seen that. You know, there's been players who they've just simply looked a lot better up at the new NRL level mm-hmm. out, and out of New South Wales Cup. So, yeah. That's the thing. I, when you talk I, about I, those I, guys, Ogden and Makatoa in particular, uh, part of me wouldn't be shocked if they come back in and, and play decent but not outstanding um, compared yeah. to what they were doing at NRL level where they were being, you know, serious contributors. It's just a reality of uh, being in a better supporting cast and a better environment. So I hope they yeah, can make and, a difference. Yeah, and incidentally, I just had a, a quick look. Eileen Gordon is 36. There you go. The age is Buddy Gordon. Well done. Um, 36 years of age. Yeah, 36, wow. years, 36 years of age and still running around strong in, in Reggie. So, well done to Buddy. And, yeah, for the EL 60s, um, I mean, obviously you want to see the win, but they, they have curtailed the, the high scoring a little bit in recent weeks uh, compared to where they were at, where they were getting, you know, 64 and 46 put on them against the Bulldogs and Seagulls or Blacktown Workers Eagles and then... 40 against the, the Jets and then 36 against the Warriors, who are both very good teams. So they're stemming, they're stemming and they're bleeding a little bit, uh, but can they you know, put the points on the board to get close to the win? We have to wait and see. Yeah, look, I, I think we probably suspect that there are going to be players moved on that are running around in this grade at the moment. Um there will probably be a lot of the younger players that will be playing New South Wales Cup next year. I think we will see a changing of the guard in that regard. What the players who are running around out there have the opportunity to do is to either put forward the case that they should be retained by the club between now and the end of the year, or secondly put on strong enough performances that they're noted by other clubs and are picked up and have an opportunity elsewhere next year. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's nothing to play for. for yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. There's, there's still plenty on the line for these guys moving forwards. And uh, for the Eels, they, they if they're trying to mimic that Penrith pathway system, they'll be looking to facilitate the transfer of um, you know those Jersey Fleet guys into positions in the New South Wales Cup. So they've got, you know, they've got to find that balance of getting the uh, sort of senior guys in around those young kids, and this is where sort of the grading process really gets aggressive. Uh, who's going to, you know, play for their spots? Yeah, and do you know what? If it, if I suspect that if it wasn't for the case of um, the players that are running around in New South Wales Cup, they may need them for first grade. Some of them for first grade that you would possibly see weeks like this where Jersey Flegg has a buy, that there'd be a few more players running around in, in New South Wales Cup. I think it's I think it's the fact that 
those Jersey flag, flag boys wouldn't be ready to step up to first grade, that they need these New South Wales Cup fellas to be out there on the field and also, maintaining their fitness, just, match fitness and trying to get some form two, um, two because the, you never know. Two of the three, I'd say, most eligible guys of progress also were playing New South Wales State of Origin um, in yeah. in Sanders and Geimer. With uh, Sam, you know, obviously not too far behind them, but being a year young, you want to you know make sure he's right physically before stepping him up. So yeah, they just lined up badly for the Eels in that regard. But yeah, yep. if, they, if they can be competitive again, that's a big step forwards for them in this game. And obviously, you want to get the win. But uh, like you said, sixties confidence levels are right in the gutter right now. They've been you know kicked and kicked and stomped uh, last you know five six games. So they they need to find a way to break it. But it's tough. Um, but speaking of a team that wants a win, or two teams that want bounce back wins, actually, we move on to the NRL, where the seventh place Eels host the eleventh place Titans in that ultra congested uh, battle for the top eight. Uh, this one is in that awful kickoff slot of six fifteen PM. Uh, I don't know why, but here we are. Uh, Eels into this game as firm favourites uh, out at Combank Stadium, but the Titans, their lineup's pretty good. Sixties: AJ Brimson, Khan Pereira, Kelly Shop, Sami in the back line. A uh, very, very good, well-rounded back line there. Foran and Boyd in the halves. Fodawaka, Verrills, Tino Fa'asua, Marla Aoi as captain. Uh, Dave Fafita, Cleese Haas, Isaac Liu in the back row on the interchange. Campbell, Randall, Clark and Fafita. Probably the weakness of their team, that bench, really, I don't understand its construction. But hey, it worked for New South Wales. Hopefully it doesn't work for the Titans. Uh, their extended roster, there's another Fa'asua, Marla Aoi, Isaac. Uh, you got Jacob Alec, Keanu Keeney, Cruz Leeming, Ken Mamalo. Tony Francis and Thomas McCauley extended rosters this week in the Origin impacted uh, round 60s. So instead of just the 22, we get up to 24 players uh, for the Eels. Well, they've named their best available team. Guffo at fullback, Sivo, Penasini, Simonson and Russell in the back line. Sean moving from fullback back to right wing, obviously to accommodate uh, Guffo coming back. Dejan Arce and Mitchell Moses in the halves. Reagan Campbell, Gillard, Brendan Hands and Junior Barlow on the front row. Lane Cartwright, Hopgood in the back row. Uh, Luca Moretti, he holds his spot in the team. He's um, having a nice little run here. Joe Fengahi, Andrew Davey, and Ryan Madison, the interchange forwards for the Eels. Ogden Makatoa, Blake, Dory, Dunster, and Lumi Lumi on the extended shadow bench. Chris Butler is the man with the whistle. Ferner and Ultram on the sidelines. Grant Atkins is in the box. Yeah, Eels, they fell to the Titans by two points uh, in a very frenetic game. Last time these, these two teams met, uh, what, back in Magic Round was the 60s? Round 10? Yeah, um, yeah, it was magic round, and uh, the, that was one of two games. Similar that sort time, of, similar. Yeah, time it was the, the stupid time slot. Yeah, um, instead of a beautiful Sunday, two beautiful Sunday afternoon games for the NRL on Sunday, just one, and then the twilight game. I don't understand, but yeah, that was one of two games that broke the the, the straw that was a the, that proved to be the straws. Sorry, that broke the camel's back for BA, where uh, he actually ended up blowing up about penalty counts that in the Canberra game. Uh, so can the Eels get a fair look in on the whistle? I hope so. Uh, on paper, the team looks very good. Uh, the, the real weakness of this team, I, I don't really know now. I mean, Arcee and Moses, they, they're going to be good in the halves. The fact that all three players backed up out of origin is really nice. Same for the Titans too, though, by the way. There was a quartet of origin players. Brimson, Fafida, Farsu, Mala, Awi. And am I missing someone or was it just a trio for them? Maybe it was just a trio. Uh, also backing up uh, cleanly. There was um, some question marks. Oh, did Mofo Awaker play? 
maybe he was a quartet there. Uh, there were some question marks about uh, David Vita's fitness, but there was a confused um, sort of a press release with uh, the Cowboys player, no, no, uh, no, no, sorry. So, yeah, uh, both teams looking very strong on paper. The Eels need to have their 60s. Unfortunately, that loss to the Warriors, uh, as impacted by Origin as it was, is act- was actually a very high leverage game in the context of the finishes to the season. And it's going to probably cost the Eels a top four spot in the long term unless they win absurdly well in the run home now. So this one you've got to have because the, the Titans are one win behind you. Uh, make sure that... Oh, no, they're not one win behind us. They're two wins behind us, but they've had the buys. But on the ladder, they're two points behind us. So you've you got you know the Rabbitohs, the Cowboys, the Seagulls on your heels. You've got the Warriors, the Raiders, uh, the Storm, the Sharks just ahead of you. Um, so if you if you do want to make a, p- a push for the top four and you do want to consolidate your spot in the top eight, you've got to have this one this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, mate, first for a start, have the NRL totally taken the piss with us with the draw this year? Oh, 100%. You, you've already done a dive into it. Um, uh, one of uh, uh, my uh, contemporaries on uh, the free Discord has also done a dive into it just now and yeah, the, the Eels have been done very dirty in this this uh, draw. From uh, you know time scheduling, from travel, from uh, playing people off buys to no origin buys. We've got the most five, equal most five-day turnarounds. Like any of those individual things you cop to some degree because the, no draw is going to be perfect in that regard. Someone's got to have five-day turnarounds. Someone's got to play, you know, uh, certain time slots. But the Eels have copped it at every level on the draw. There's been no silver lining for them with their NRL scheduling. Yeah, and it's something that um, people people who are members would have received the email from uh, CEO Jim Sarantinos, and he mentioned that the Eels are taking up aspects of the draw with the NRL to, you know, hopefully get something a bit fairer next season. But um, what has got me stunned is that well maybe it shouldn't have stunned me have, have the media do they give any acknowledgement of the fact that the eels were the only club to not have a buy in the origin impacted rounds i think it's been mentioned on a podcast and that's it there's been no actual articles about it no you know. well it's been mentioned it's been mentioned plenty on TCT yeah sorry I've been mentioned by a journalist on a podcast I think at one point recently it hasn't it hasn't been mentioned uh, elsewhere except for TCT there's been no proper dive into or journalistic investigation into the imbalances of the 2023 draw which you think would be a nice little double page spread on so you can forward data points you could uh, extrapolate because it's not just about Parramatta there'd be other teams impacted too um, I'm just trying to think uh, maybe South Sydney, I think maybe the Broncos have some uh, weird quirks of their buy as well. Um, so, but uh, you know, the Broncos got two buys in the Origin impacted rounds. So, and and look, there are clubs that you would expect would get um, would need to be looked at for the potential of two buys, right? I, I don't have a I don't have a problem if you've got clubs that are seen to have a large number of representatives. You can't have a scenario where a team like the Warriors get a bye and and the Eels do not, or the other clubs that um, can be 
fairly accurately predicted that they're not going to have too many origin representatives. It was obvious that Parramatta were going to have somewhere between two and four who were a genuine chance of playing origin football. And that didn't even include the potential that Sean Lane could have played origin this year, given his form last year. But regardless, right, my issue this week is, again, another late Sunday game. And this is on top of Thursday night games, Friday 6pm games, Sunday night games. I'm like... None of this is conducive to getting the best possible um, home crowds for a start, that, which then takes away a little bit of a playing advantage as well to, for having teams having to roll up and face a, a vocal or hostile home crowd at, at Combank Stadium. It costs the club money. It costs the club significant money when they don't get the crowds that they would if the game was played at a more friendly spectator time. We just don't get the matches at the times that they should be. And it's been it's been a horror year for that. It's been an absolutely horror year for that. So um, hopefully it's changed for next year as a result of uh, Parramatta's representation to the NRL. But I just wanted to mention that because you know, six fifteen on a Sunday night. Yeah. Yep. Like, and, and as I said, as especially especially when it was the same time that they had to play against the Titans in the first time that they played them. I mean, it's just uh, you know, it if you if you didn't know better, you'd almost swear it was deliberately taken the piss. Like in all seriousness, you know, I've, I've, I'm over the draw this year. But let's get back to talking about the footy, mate. The one thing that we know about the Titans is that they are an unpredictable oh, yeah. team. But, you know, we we caught them at in one of their better performances of the year, where mm-hmm. they they performed well in the first half and then backed it up and by didn't actually did enough in the second in half. In the yeah. second half, yeah. yeah, and not only that. They had desperation in their defence. Mm-hmm. Like the number of times that we created opportunities, but it was that desperation scramble from the Titans that prevented tries from being scored. They've got threats in the middle. They've got threats on the edges. Uh, they've got one of the fastest wingers in the competition uh, in Khan Pereira. And they have that potential that they could unlock any of them at any given time. And we just have to be back to that Parramatta footy of high completions, good kick chase, play the game in the Titans half, put the pressure on, have them make mistakes that we know are in their game. And that's the starting point for this game of football. We can't be worried about trying to blast them off the park at any particular time. I think once, if we get into playing um, a touch footy brand of football, that plays into their hands. Yeah. And we've, we've half pie done that a number of times. That we've <laughs> yeah. played time. Round one last year, uh, earlier on this season, where we let them run, uh, race out to an early lead with our right edge sort of falling apart a bit. Um, 
and Kieran Foran picking us apart. So yeah, we we got to get into tempo quickly. We got to get you know playing good fundamental power football. And yeah, if we do that, the opportunity to score will come quickly. Yeah, and I I think this is where um, we obviously need our Origin boys just to be straight back into their focus. I'm not sure whether they're going to get an opportunity to train with the the team before the match. I'd hope so, but you know they've got to go through their own recovery processes yep. as well, and and maybe that necessitates that they um, won't get to train. Um, so uh, you know we, and and that's that's obviously today their last training session. So. Uh, the Eels don't train the day before a match. No, they do the day. They train before. two day two yeah, days before a that's match. Right, the day before that. So, yep. So that means training is today, and uh, whether the Origin boys get you know get rushed into training, you know, I've, I've got a doubt on that. Uh, perhaps the argument is well, at this point in the season, they don't need to be running around as part of the prep. But the thing is, you know, each each training session before a particular match is focusing on what they're expecting in both attack and defence um, for that uh, for that particular opponent. You know, they're working towards certain plays in attack. They're working towards certain things to watch out for in defence. They're, they're working on the things that are identified in their tip sheet. And the reminders are out there from the coaches about, you know, what, what is what they are likely to expect. So, um, you know, that it, if they're not part of training, which they haven't been uh, whilst they've been in camp, you know, their, their involvement in the game, yeah, it's great that they will be back and playing, but they've still missed out on some of the prep. Mm-hmm. And that is a downside of it. So, um, yeah, what to expect? Well, I, I guess I'm... I, going to repeat myself and say that I, I I want that Parramatta football. I want the high completion. I want the the, the good kick and I want the pressure applied. And then I, I, I want to see once they've got the team in the in the quarter, that's when I want to see them really use the ball there. That they've earned the right to use the football down at the other end of the of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as the the team itself is concerned, you mentioned the uh, Luca Moretti uh, retaining his place in the side, and I think that had a lot to do with his performance last week. Because although his minutes weren't big, when he came out, he played with intent, and you know he's done a very good job at um, grasping his opportunity this year. And we see by his retention in the team that has put him above the pecking order ahead of um, Ogden and Makatoa. So full marks to Luca for that. You know, you, you, I mean, that's what you're probably looking at is close to what the full-strength Parramatta team will be. The only change might be when uh, Wiramu Greg returns from injury. He'll probably force his way yeah. into, that, into that team. Now, what it then comes down to is whether... BA would carry um, Luca or Andy Davy in a bench which has um, Wiramu in it. So, um, yeah. 
But um, uh, I'm also pleased to see um, Cardi retain his starting role there on that uh, on that side of the field because he's really made that role his own this year, and it shows the BA's got a bit of faith in him as I mean, well. It was a less than ideal performance from Cardi last week. Also, you know, but uh, also foiled by uh, Sean Lane having a very ordinary return from his injury. So, plenty of improvement there for those boys this week. But yeah, how how he uses how he being Brad Arthur uses Maddo in that rotation now is going to be very interesting. Um, you know, you can obviously just throw him into the middle if you want to beef up that middle. And looking at this Titans bench sixties, I think there's opportunities to really go after their ruck. Campbell, Randall, Clark, Fafita. You've got a, a utility back, a dummy half, a dummy half slash lock forward, and a Jojo Fafita's back as well, isn't he? Yeah. So unless there, there's something crazy going on there on game day of changes. The Eels could really dominate the ruck here. And that's got to be their mission statement in this game. Go out there, own the middle. Everything else comes from that. Don't spot the Titans early points like you did in round 10. Um, and yeah, like you said, play Parramatta football. There's going to be attacking opportunities to take. That's good. But, you know, smash them in the face. Like you punch them in the face in this game. Uh, you know, with yeah, props. So, you, I mean, do you see that those opportunities are, are going to come either side of half time then with that? Uh, that bench when you're likely to see yeah, more of the bench yeah. players yeah, that's on what, there. I mean, there, there's no, there's obviously a chance that just Reg Junior, Hopgood, you know, carve them up from the get go. But I think that you look at that bench rotation: Joe Ofengahi, Ryan Madison, and uh, being the two primary ones there. But you know, Luke and Reddy could also be thrown into the fray a little bit earlier in this game, perhaps. But yeah, you look at that rotation. There's, there's going to be some opportunities. I think, like you said, uh, sort of in that 25 minute bracket onwards before halftime. Uh, so, yeah, I really hope that we can uh, completely dominate the ruck here. And, and that nullifies so many of their threats. And that's not to say that guys like Brimson and Khan Pereira and Sami can't be, you know, threatening from uh, the, the Titans' side of halfway. Uh, we know they're an explosive offense, but you're certainly mitigating a lot of their impact when you put them on the back foot through the middle. So that that's a big thing for me. Um, and the fact that the Eels, uh, while not all their guys are in great form, we talked about Sean Lane, uh, you know, being rusty coming back from an injury, that wasn't to be, you know, unexpected, but I think they're going to be better this week, and I think that just Sands, Dylan Brown, and Wira McGregor, this is our best possible team we can put out right now, and we're, we're in a good position to make a run because of it, so get it, get it started on Sunday with a win over the Titans, and then you've got to look to start getting that roll on going from there, because we've got a tough run, if I just pop our draw, um, you know, there's never really a gimme in the NRL, we talk about this all the time, but you, know, you take on the Titans, you've got to get the win against them, you go up to North Queensland, uh, and the, the surging Cowboys. You go to Melbourne to take on the Storm. You then host the Dragons. You go to Brisbane to take on the Broncos. You host the Roosters. Then you go to Penrith to, to finish your regular season because you got the last round by. So, I mean, it, yeah. it, you got the Dragons, maybe, as like you put that down as not not a gimme, but like as the a definitely strong winnable game. But after that, the Roosters are the next easiest game, and I put inverted commas on easiest, uh, because the the Roosters won't be easy when they play us. It feels like they always you know turn up against us. If and they've traditionally been a strong team, but now they're struggling. They're still going to uh, turn up against us. It feels like so. Yeah, so many tough games on the schedule. Getting this one is critical. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mentioned in the uh, bumpers up column this week that the Eels draw has them playing two matches this year against the Storm, the Panthers, the Roosters, the Broncos. The Cowboys, the Sea Eagles, the Titans, the Bulldogs. Only once do we play Dragons, yep. Tigers, 
Knights, Dolphins, Warriors, mm-hmm. Rabbitohs, Raiders, and Sharks. Obviously, the Rabbitohs and the Sharks is not too bad, only having to play them once. Um, the Raiders, we had to play them away, and we remember what happened in that game in terms of the penalties. It was that that was the game that really tipped BA over the edge, wasn't it, with his uh, post-match uh, comments. And then you look at the Raiders and listen listen to their draw. The teams that they play once are the Panthers, the Rabbitohs, Storm, Us, Cowboys, Roosters, Manly, Titans. It's almost a flip of the draw. It's like, mm-hmm. and they get two games against the Bulldogs, the Tigers, the Knights, the Dragons, the Dolphins, the Warriors, the Sharks, and the Broncos. Who who you play is a huge factor in finishing uh, in the top eight. I mean, we, we've seen oh, it. Look, we've seen we've it. Seen it. Yeah, years. as you say, we've seen it. We 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 see it year on year. Somehow there will be teams which have been literally kissed on the proverbial with the draw that they get, and you look at it and you go. How is this possible? How is it that it's that a team can end up like you can literally predict? And, and they talk about you know this year oh, it's been the most unpredictable year or what have you. You're going to end up with the teams in the top eight, mostly that you expected to be in the top eight when all said and done, right? It's going to be there, and it's but the those fringe ones like Canberra will get there probably on the basis of the draw. Like they've they've scraped home in a whole ra- whole number of matches, and you just know that if that draw had have been flipped, that they would have done it tough, like really really tough to get near the fin- get near finals football. And I mean, you know, okay, that's the luck of the draw. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the saying. That's literally what's happened this year. Um, but when you are now when you when you're a team that has has copped the rough end of a draw and you get to this time in the year and you're facing teams like the top of the table teams for a second time. And you just know you're going to be, uh, like if, if you make the finals, if you win the comp, you've really earned every bit of it. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like year on year, the Eels play, the top teams twice. And year on year, there seems to be certain teams that don't play the top teams twice. Yeah. And and part and, of, and part of going, that... Does... Yeah, I think part of that is the Eels always travel well in terms of fans, so they're a priority uh, for a lot of interstate teams to have booked in as part of a, you know, the two-game slot or the home-and-away slot. But, yeah, that it's frustrating, isn't it, 60s? Like... Well, I think if you go back and document our draw across like the last five, six years, it's been among the hardest every year. So it'd be nice to have the, the uh, some of the layup games that some of the other teams have been getting uh, in recent seasons. Uh, but yeah, it's a problem for 2024, and hopefully the Eels can uh, maybe get a little bit of leeway there after uh, talking to the NRL. Uh, but let's uh, start talking predictions. Uh, we've been ranting, uh, rambling and ranting for a bit now, so... Let's uh, lodge our official predictions for this game. With the Eels looking to knock over the Titans, how do you see this one playing out, mate? Uh, Look, if if Parramatta play the way they should play, the way they are capable of playing, then this to me becomes a a, a comfortable win, and I'm 
I'm talking. Uh, I'll I'll predict a scoreline of around uh, thirty-four to twelve, mm-hmm. something like that. Now, the proviso, and it's always the proviso is uh, against the Titans that we don't get drawn into playing touch football against them. Like, if we score early. I, as as what as, as what happened a couple of years back at, in the home game at at uh, Combank Stadium, that we we don't think it's all going to come too easy. That I we need the team to yeah, say it's the worst possible thing we could do. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah. Uh, we 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 cannot uh, look. I, and I know it opened up for us against the Dolphins, but it was opening up in playing our our brand of football. And you know there was a, some late opportunities that came in the uh, in the back half of the uh, of that first half, but um, you know they were still coming off us going to um, the plan of hitting the edges. It, 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 I, I'm not going to, even though it looks spectacular, the spectacular came from some of the the backing up, the support play, or the you know, a couple of Cardi's passes, you yeah. know, a little backhander sort of support pass. But, you know, the, they were playing to what they trained to do, which was to hit the edges. Um, we have to stay in our, uh, in, you have to stay to the game plan. We have to stay in our systems. We have to, we saw what the disaster that could unfold when we turn over a lot of possession. And that happened against the Warriors last week. Our completions were down in the 60-odd percent area and we were on the back foot far too often. And I didn't like the way that the Warriors hit us in behind the ruck. And you've just got to ensure that you don't give the the opposition the opportunity to play the game the way they want to play it. And essentially, that's what the Warriors were able to do. The Warriors were able to play Warriors football last week. And we were in a position of standing and watching them. And that's that. That was how that played out. Um, yourself, mate. What's your What's your thoughts on uh, score and how it's going to play out? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be very uh, optimistic here, insofar as the Eels committing to a defensive goal and, and executing. Because uh, while while scoring lots of points will be ideal, I think limiting the Titans will be a better indicator of the Eels bouncing back from the Warriors or not. So I'm going to have the uh, Titans down to a single try some way somehow, as the Eels lock in <clears throat> lock in for this one. So I'll go for Parramatta win 26-6. to six. Uh, So you know, a few less points for us, but if we can restrict the Titans to single-digit points or even just like 10 or 12 points, I think that's a big win for the Eels and uh, indicative of a, a, a team mindset that is focused and driven uh, ahead of a tough upcoming schedule. Yep. Uh, your best on field? Best on field. Well, I always it's always easy to go find the big plays, obviously, but... Um, I think maybe in this one, I feel like we're, we're, we're due for a good game from Mike Acevo. So maybe the Eels get him some ball and he'll, he'll have his way down uh, the Gold Coast right edge. I can't go past the King. I think the King will, yeah, I mean, you know, he's starting at the fact that he got three minutes. He's had three minutes of football in the last fortnight. He's not going to be happy with that. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that's a very, very I, sound pick, sound of mine. But um, yeah, he's definitely going to be fired up for this one. And we, there is no doubt at all that we missed his direction from uh, behind the ruck last week, in, especially in defence. 
um, you know, we we just seemed all at sea against the uh, Warriors, and I think that's a his his involvement, his talk from the back of the field there is really really critical, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I I think he will have a I, I think he'll have a really important game to play for us this week. First try scorer. I'm going to double down. I'll go Micah for a big game and first try scorer. I'll double down and go the king. There we go. There you go. Nice and easy. <laughs> yes, mate. And uh, just as we as we finish things up, a reminder that we are on with a pre-game podcast at Paraleague. So get up to Jack's Bar and Grill about 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon as we hit you with the um, with the preview podcast and uh, that gives you time to come into the club, have a drink, have a feed, listen to our footy talk, then get over there for two grades of football over at Combank Stadium. As we know, Paraleagues is the home of the Eels. So make sure you enjoy and participate in what all that they have to offer on match days to make the club the home of the Eels. Thank you also to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, who make this weekly podcast, well, our three times a week podcast possible, as well as other content on the Cumberland Throw. Thank you for listening. Thank you, John, for your fine hosting work as normal. And um, we will be seeing all of you on Sunday at the game. And then uh, we will have you with our post-game instant reaction later Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And, of course, don't forget to vote on the Club Constitution, 60s. Of course. And go, you mighty eels. <laughs>